Hey y'all, this is Charlie, and we are living, loving, laughing, and grace. Did you say it with me? Okay, we're gonna say it again just in case you didn't, and you can still just say it again anyways. So we're gonna say it together because we're all getting used to this, right? We are living, loving, laughing, and grace. Hallelujah. So the we is you, me, and Jesus, and you know the in grace is Jesus too. We're talking about how we are living this life, loving this life, laughing in this life, in our Jesus. Amen. Oh, because he's so good to us. So we're going to make the best use of our time that we can and jump right back in where we left off last time. So we were talking about, well, first off, First Peter 5, where it says, But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. And if you agree, say amen. Amen. That's why that's there. So we can agree and say amen. All right. So this is our word the Lord has given us. And we were back in Daniel getting ready to look at how the Lord actually worked this in the lives of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because we talked about how they had that huge uh, face-off, right? That big confrontation where it was either bow to this idol that King Nebuchadnezzar had made or get chucked into a fiery furnace. And somehow they had the faith to get chucked into that fiery furnace, right? And they did it speaking about the goodness of God. Like, can you imagine that? So I think for some of us, it could be hard to imagine. I mean, imagine if, if someone came to, you know, we lived in one of those countries that had this type of government that said, hey, either you deny Christ or we're taking your, your home, we're taking your family, you know, we're going to, we're going to, um, you're going to lose your job, you're going to be on the streets, or even worse, they are going to kill you because there are plenty of countries that do that. Could you imagine what that would be like? And I think about how did they have the faith to not only not bow, but to still speak good about God. And what we see is that the story didn't actually start there. There was actually two other trials that they went through. And we're going to look at those because we're going to see that the Lord worked that faith into them. He, he didn't expect them to get there all at once, right? He, in other words, it's like he even protected them. He protects us from what he knows we can't handle yet and, and, and allows things into our life sometimes so that in the end, he can complete us, perfect us, strengthen us, establish us, and even promote us. But he, he knows, okay, I'm just going to get into it because then you're going to see what I'm talking about. So the book of Daniel starts off with the king of Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, the king Nebuchadnezzar, who is the king of Babylon, which was an immense nation at the time, the largest nation, came to Judah, besieged it, and then uh, won, of course, in the end, and um, carried off the people. Well, this King Nebuchadnezzar, even though he was a wicked king, he was a very intelligent king. And when he would conquer other nations, he would basically take the best of their young men and bring them into his court, right? So that he, he would make them his wise men. And, and it says that um, he would look for men who were young, who, who had no blemish. They were good looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand. And they would be used to serve in the king's palace. And they look for, for people who they'd be able to teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans to because they were considered 
his wise men. So uh, Daniel, who the book is named after Daniel, uh, Mishael, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah, as they're known in their original Hebrew names, they were taken captive. And they were all young teenage boys when they were taken captive. They're brought to this king's palace. And I want you to think about this. Here's the option they're given. The king appoints for them a daily provision of the king's delicacy. So I'm reading to you now out of Daniel 1 verse 5. And of the wine which he drank, they get three years of training for them so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. So what he does is he has them brought in. So he, they, they pick the best of basically the slaves they've just taken, bring them in, then they give them the best of what they have to offer. They get three years of training and then they basically kind of like have an exam at the end and that determines where they end up serving. So here's what you need to know though. It goes on to tell us that in verse eight, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, God had brought Daniel into the favor and the goodwill of the chief eunuch. So here's what happened. I want you to notice I keep emphasizing defile because, um, I've, you know, you've probably heard in a lot of places about Daniel's diet. And um, unfortunately, in, in a lot of ways, we've done today the exact opposite of what Daniel was doing. So in this, Daniel ends up asking the chief eunuch, says, don't give us the, the meat or the wine or the delicacies, but please just give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. And so people think that means that we're supposed to go back to just vegetables or a vegetarian diet and we'll be healthier and stronger. When actually what Daniel and the other three were doing was humbling themselves to the Lord and saying, we're relying more on the Lord to keep us healthy than what we're eating. Because what the king wanted them to do was to eat these meats because these meats had been sacrificed to his God. That's how you expressed that you, sac that you served a particular God. And where do you think they got that from? Well, it originated with the Israelites, right? Because we know like in Leviticus, God gives us all those wonderful uh, sacrifices that are all meant to represent the one perfect sacrifice and these different, you know, they bring a lamb or they bring a bull or they bring, um, you know, the doves and some of those sacrifices, the people got to eat and some of the priests got to eat and some portions were left just to God, right? So the whole thing here was that it was like, if they were to eat those meats, they would be saying that they believed in that God. And of course, that's why it says he didn't want to defile himself. And you think, well, that's not really a big deal. I think I could, I could give that up pretty easy. But I want you to think of this. This is four young teenage boys. They're away from home where none, none of their family can see what they're doing. Think maybe like off at college. And they're offered all the wine they want to drink, all the, the delicacies from the king. Everything that the world says is the best. I don't, in my mind, to put it in terms that I can relate to, I think of a lot like when kids go off to college and then they're exposed to drugs and alcohol and all this stuff that the world tells them is really the best. And they say, you know what? We don't want anything to do with that because we trust in our God. So Daniel asks if they can, um, if they can abstain from that. And then eunuch tells them, I fear that my Lord, the King who has appointed your food and drink, 
for why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So he's saying, if I don't take proper care of you, when the king's given me everything to take good care of you, and in the natural, it makes more sense that you're going to look better if you eat these things than if you just eat vegetables and water. He's like, my, king, my head's going to get cut off. And look at this. You know, the spirit in which we do things matter. Are our eyes on the Lord? Daniel didn't just respond with, well, that's not really my problem. You know, I don't care if your head gets cut off. Listen to this. He humbles himself and says, please test your servants for 10 days. Remember, they've got three years of training. So he says, please test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see, as you see fit, deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them 10 days. So Daniel basically said, hey, you know what? Test us in this because they're believing in their God to give them health and strength. You know, how many times we end up believing in other things. That's why I was saying, my friends, we can make a choice to go for fitness, but we can't make a choice to go for health. Health is a gift from the Lord. If, the, if God doesn't give us the health to go work out, it doesn't matter, right? If you're stuck in the bed because your body doesn't function, you can't go be fit. And I experienced that firsthand. So health, is a gift from the Lord. And Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego are recognizing, they're humbling themselves. They humble themselves to the servant, say, hey, please just test us in this. We trust the Lord that he's going to deliver in this. So it is a test, right? This is a struggle right here. It's a much smaller one than being faced with a fiery furnace, wouldn't you agree? But it is still a test because they're being tempted all around them with everyone else who's just enjoying themselves, doing whatever feels good, having a good time, right? Believing the, the thoughts and the beliefs of the world instead of sticking with that. Nope, the Lord has got me. Even in exile, even in exile, in a place where they're slaves. Amen. So it did this. They did this and it says at the end of 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four young men, God gave, I want you to say God gave, God gave them knowledge and skill and all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding and all visions and dreams. So, you know, the Bible shows us again and again and again that wisdom only comes from the Lord. That is the only source of true wisdom. And actually, we kind of see a showdown of that in the very next chapter, that there's the world's wisdom that can get you so far, and there's the Lord's wisdom. Amen. So look at this. They went through this struggle, but on the other side, God gives them a knowledge and a skill and a wisdom that they didn't have before. And Daniel has understanding in all visions and dreams. And then what happens is the people are brought before the king and he interviews them, right? And this is where they're kind of going to find out where their assignments are going to be. They, they could end up serving anywhere from cleaning toilets to standing in the king's court. It's all going to be ba based on these final exams, right? So they go for their final exam before the king and listen to this. 
And verse 20, it says, And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them 10 times better. Say 10 times. 10 times better than all the magicians and astrologers, astrologers, excuse me, who were in all his realm. They were 10 times wiser and had 10 times the understanding. So I would say that this is God's reward to them for trusting in his goodness, right? They went through a struggle and he has now, he has proven himself to them, right? How in the world could they make themselves 10 times smarter? And I want to give you an extra little tidbit here. You know, have you ever, have you, have you heard, I've, um, I have before from, from doctors and different sources that they estimate that we on average only use about a 10th of our brain, right? That's what medical science tells us. And here we see four believers in the Lord have 10 times the wisdom of the world. What just happened? They just got the full capacity of their brain back. I believe that when Adam fell in the garden, it was actually a grace that the Lord, uh, a grace gift in a way that the Lord limited our minds. That's when our minds fell. Because if our mind isn't set free in Christ, if our mind isn't focused on Christ, it can become our, our own worst enemy. Right? I don't want you to dig too much into it, but you all know the, the kind of thoughts that you can have right? The, in every which way. The, the bad thoughts towards yourselves, to other people. And just imagine if you had 10 times that ability. I'm really grateful that we don't. I think the Lord knew the wickedness that would spread on this earth would just, would just be um, you know, unbearable. You know, I look at what King Nebuchadnezzar was possible of. He was a very, uh, a, a man who had a lot of wisdom for the world. It also had a temper. And oftentimes, if you read through Daniel, his reaction is to cut people up into pieces and burn down their houses. I'm really glad that his mind couldn't work 10 times stronger. But look, God gave this gift to these men because he knew that they could handle it. He knew they were safe for it. He knew that they would use it to bring him glory. And so that made them safe for it. That meant that it would be a joy to them, bring them joy and more peace instead of becoming a burden to them. You know, sometimes I think the blessings that we're waiting on are ones that the Lord knows we're not actually quite ready yet because if we received it in that moment, it would become a burden to us because he can see that we're not yet completely trusting in him. We haven't completely let go. He sees there's that part of us that will think we got that blessing. We got whatever that was we were waiting for based on something we were doing. And that eventually will break us, right? And so he works through us. Look at this, this small little testing that they had at first, but it brought them to another level where he was establishing them, strengthening them, settling them. He proved himself to them. Amen. So that was the, the first one, right? The first big one. If you don't count also, you know, kind of that first they had to deal with the whole being taken into exile in the first place, right? And the Lord showed them that, look, they, they were brought into the king's house. So there was already some, you know, instead of being killed, they were brought into the king's house and then presented this opportunity. So, so he starts in a smaller way. Well, then the next one, 
is when Nebuchadnezzar has his dream and he has a dream in his sleep and it bothers him so much that he, it says that his sleep departs from him. Like it, it sounds like for a while he wasn't able to sleep because of this dream that he had had. So he tells the Chaldeans who are his wise men that he wants them to tell him what the dream was and then give the interpretation. And he says that if you in Daniel chapter two, so in Daniel chapter two, verse five, it says the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made in ash heap. What did I tell you? This guy's really violent. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Now, let me tell you something. It's not the suffering that God's, God's men end up going through, but I'm going to tell you this is what his eye was on for them. He wanted them to have the gifts, the rewards, and great honor. I want you to say with me, say gifts, rewards, and great honor. He says, therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. And they try to talk, it goes back and forth where they try to talk the king into, into telling them the dream first, right? Because then they can just make up any kind of interpretation to go along with it and see that this king, he's so smart. He actually tells them that he's like, you just want me to tell you the dream because then you're just going to say something the you'll make something up and you'll tell me that. And I won't really know, but you're just doing it to save your own lives. And, um, so he's very smart. And he's like, if you really have the ability to tell dreams, you could tell me what the dream is first. And the Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. And can I tell you something? They're right. There isn't. No one could tell him what he dreamed last night. Not a man. So here's the problem. The king gets angry. He realizes they don't have a clue. So he puts out a decree for all of the wise men of Babylon to be killed. And the decree went out, it says, and they began killing the wise men. So listen, Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, because of the last encounter they had with the king, they were promoted into a position where they were a part of his wise men. So here's the problem. Now, because of that promotion, now their lives are in jeopardy because they're considered part of the wise men. So they're part of this group who the king has just sent out his men to start killing without, they never consulted them, but just because they're part of the wise men, they're going to be killed because of where their last promotion got them. So I want to share that because, you know, we know that their death is, is not God's desire, but sometimes, right? We get a promotion, you know, we, we, we get whatever that thing is that we were believing from God or something we weren't even believing for just, but we know it's something that was from, that is from God. And then all of a sudden there's a suffering that comes or a persecution or a tribulation. That doesn't mean that that wasn't from God. If the enemy can get you to think that, that that victory that you had or that promotion or that blessing or whatever, that it really wasn't from God to start with just because some tribulation came into your life. Oh, he'd love for you to think that because then you're going to give it up. No, right? Sometimes tribulation comes in, persecution comes in because, right? Because of what the Lord has done for us. How often was Paul persecuted? So it was not the Lord's intention to kill them, but just like we already saw in chapter one, it is his intention to perfect them, 
to strengthen them, to settle them, to complete them, and to promote them. So he has their good in mind. But could you imagine if they heard about this and then they just started blaming God? Like, oh, I wish we had never become wise men in the first place. It would have been better for us if we had been toilet scrubbers because no one's looking to, to, to chop off their heads or cut them into pieces, right? Remember what we said faith is? Faith is believing in the goodness of our God. Faith is believing that he sees where we're at. He sees the struggle. He sees the problem and he is already working it out to our good. Amen. And, and know that that might not come the way we think it's going to. I mean, faith really is letting go and not trying to direct anything, but just let the Lord work. And so eventually the, um, the captain of the king's guard, Ariok, comes to Daniel and uh, he was the one who was sent out to kill the wise men. And Daniel asked him, why is the decree from the king so urgent? And then Ariok made the decision known to Daniel. So that tells me that this, this captain of the guard, Ariok, he, he was not in a big hurry to kill people. Don't think he wanted to because it's like Daniel asks him. So first of all, they've already had a conversation. And then he's like, oh, well, this is what's going on. Amen. Amen. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning the secret. My friend, you know what they just did? They just had a prayer meeting. They just got together and said, we're going to seek God and we're going to pray about this. And you know, this is the first prayer meeting in the Bible. This is the first one. Oh, I'm so excited and so happy that these men turned to the Lord. There was a problem. There's tribulation, right? There's fire. What do we do? Don't turn to the problem. Don't talk about the problem. Turn to the Lord. Talk to him. Seek his mercies. Hallelujah. And we are going to have to wrap it up right there. And uh, we'll get back into this and finish this up next time. So, um, yeah, so we're going to take our problems right to the Lord. Once again, believe that he is working all things out towards our good. And that even in the suffering right here, see, here's the thing for us, there is a purpose in our suffering. Okay. There's two things that we know. We know there's a purpose in it and we know that there's an ending to it because it says after you have suffered for a while, so there's a purpose and there's an end in sight. And that's because we're children of God. That's because we have a daddy who is looking out for us and taking care of us. That's because our savior has already paid the price, right? To give us his blessings, to have the right to be able to be intimate with us and walk about in our lives and take care of us. He paid that price. Amen. He paid a heavy price to get to take care of us. So let's trust him and let's let him. Amen. Let's say, I'm going to let Jesus take care of me and my family this week. Amen. That's going to be our prayer today. Jesus, we're going to trust you and we're going to let you take care of us and take care of our families this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, my friends, till next time. Keep on living, loving, and laughing in grace.